0: Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a national correspondent for E.W. Scripps Media. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. We've got a great voice coming your way in just a minute, but first, a few requests. First, please subscribe to this podcast podcast on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts, and rate and review this podcast as well. If you like what you're hearing and want others to hear it too, a kind rating is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search, so I kindly encourage that. Secondly, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold, and now you can also buy the second edition. It's a how to guide for the most in demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. We've got all new interviews and updates for the new edition, hearing some great feedback, so check it out. Again, that's the Solo Video Journalist Second Edition on sale now. I feel out of shape. I mean, out of podcast shape. It has been eight months since my last episode. I took a hiatus in part because I started a new job. I'm now working for Scripps Media as a national correspondent, telling stories that run across their many local TV stations in dozens of markets. Any big career move feels like a leap, but my guest today has practically leapt a canyon. He had worked at NBC in San Diego for right around two decades when he decided to part ways and take his family on a cross-country road trip that is doubling as his latest storytelling project. He is one of the most talented solo video journalists in the country, Greg Bledsoe. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast.
1: Hey, Matt. Great to hear your voice. Great to see your face. Thank you so much.
0: When I said episode 86, you mouthed wow through your camera. Are you you surprised there's been this many episodes or that there have been this many episodes and I've never asked you yet?
1: Do you, no, no. Do, don't use me Wow, That's a lot of work. I'm, I'm proud of you. That's great. 86 episodes. 86 of anything is something to be proud of. 86 cents. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I'll take the episodes over the cents. But yeah. yes, I agree with that. And uh, no, it, you know, the, the cool thing about it is it has been over a span of nine years now. And that has just enabled me to speak to so many fascinating people without it ever feeling like you know, an overload or, or a burden in terms of everything that I do, but I, I when I do look back at it, and as, as we kind of, you know, almost hit the end of this first decade, and think about the interviews I was doing then and the ones that I'm doing now, it always fascinates me how much this business has changed even in that decade, and you're kind of a pretty good example of how it's changed, because when I started this podcast, you were... I believe, the reigning two-time NPPA solo video journalist of the year. And you were largely doing it with traditional uh, local television news gear. And now, not only are you no longer in local news, but the gear that you use to tell the stories that you tell is so far removed from what you were using back then. And it, it's just been fascinating to watch storytelling as a whole evolve, but also as as a fan of your work for as long as I've been a fan. It's been really interesting for me to watch your work evolve and it's exciting to get to talk to you now about what you're doing with this Family Geography Project. Let's dive right into it.
1: Tell me what it is and why you decided to do it. Yeah, I mean, how, how long do you have? Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you the abridged version. Um, we are right now traveling across the country, my wife, my seven-year-old son, my three-year-old daughter. I'm trying to visit every state in a year. We left 10 months ago. We're 22,000 miles and about 35, 36 states in at this point. I lose track unless I stare at a map and count them one by one. And we're telling stories along the way about the people we meet, the things we learn, and that's what it is essentially. Uh, and and we left a lot behind to do that, which may have been somewhat of a crazy decision, but that's what we're doing. We live out of a car right now with two little kids, so it's life is life is an adventure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i have a 3 year old daughter uh in addition to a 1 year old daughter and uh and just the idea of containing that child uh in in a vehicle for that long uh it it just sounds astounding but beyond that you are having this journey of storytelling when did you decide that this wouldn't just be kind of a break from news a break from everything uh, you know a great time to spend with family when did you decide that it wouldn't just be that, but it would also be this way that you could also get your gear out, tell stories, and keep that passion going as you did all of this.
1: Yeah, storytelling was the catalyst for this. I mean, that's that's basically what came first because my wife and I started talking about doing this 10 years ago before we even had kids. And so the, the seed was planted and just sort of kept growing and, and kept scratching at us for the last decade. And so, yeah, storytelling has always been... The goal of this trip, and it works out really well that we waited so long to do it. And now we have kids to share it with, and we get so much family time. And uh, I think our, our priorities and, and everyone else's have certainly been adjusted over the last couple years. Uh, so we we appreciate all of this a lot more. But the storytelling was always going to be a part of it, and uh, and and we love it. And now I think what's changed from if we had done this ten years ago is doing this with kids. You tend to get to see the world through the eyes of of your kids, and. When they learn something you learn something with them and those are the types of stories that we like to tell because they're learning all kinds of things about this country the people they meet what other people do for a living what it's like to live somewhere else other than southern california because there's a great big world out there they're finding out this year and so are we honestly i mean if if you could go back and repeat first or second grade again Every adult would probably learn a whole lot. I don't know about you, but I, I'm learning a lot on this trip that I probably forgot years ago. And uh, and so we're sort of using our kids as an excuse, but we're learning a ton along the way. And then those are the stories that we're telling. We, we meet people who do something interesting and, uh, and we tell their story. So you've been doing this for 10 months now. You've been yeah. on the road.
0: Yeah. And how many stories have you told? What percentage of your time is devoted to that aspect of this?
1: Yeah, that's the challenge, right? So, gosh, I'd have to count the number of stories and how many have actually posted so far. We've probably shot uh, in the neighborhood of 25-ish over 10 months, so it averages out to probably uh, shooting one every 10 days or so. Uh, the shoot isn't what takes the bulk of the time. It's then finding finding time to log, write, edit, you know, and everything else that goes along with it. And when you're doing that while living full-time out of a car with your two kids, you don't have a lot of nine to five hours open, so a lot of my work is done at ten o'clock at night when the kids go to bed, and I'm up till two in the morning. And so things take a little bit longer. Those are the those are the logistic challenges of it, and that's why I probably haven't shot as many as I I would want to. And also it's tough to find them. You know, if you live in a city and you're surrounded by that city, you know it, um, and you can constantly find great stories when you're pulling into a town or a city you've never been to before and hoping to stumble into something you, you strike out a lot so I do try and set some up in advance we've stumbled into a few but um, but that's a challenge it's just it's just finding those stories I, there's no shortage of them out there I know that it's just it's just uh knowing where they where they are and where to look when you've never been to that particular place
0: and what are the kids what is your wife doing when you have the the drone and your mirrorless camera out and you're gathering video She's
1: doing a lot more work than I am. <laughs> she's, she is a, she's a full-time first grade teacher now and mom and travel planner. So we're both plenty busy at night when the kids go to bed and she has a lot on her hands during the day too. So, I mean, she's the, she's the hero of this and, and I don't know how many wives would, would go for this plan in the first place, but she has been a hundred percent on board. I didn't have to convince her of anything. Like I said, we started talking about this 10 years ago and, uh, and back then, she was on board when we had very limited responsibility in life. And now she was still on board when we have a lot more. So, um, yeah, she's she's great. Did you have to convince the kids to do this? Well, what are they going to say? They're, they're three <laughs> and seven. <laughs> oh, technically in my experience, they could say a lot. Of anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have plenty to say. Um No, they were, they were fully on board. Our three-year-old probably won't remember a whole lot. Unfortunately, our seven-year-old is getting a ton out of it. I mean, this is his first grade year and he is living the places that he's learning about, you know, so it's, we're doing a lot of reading, but it's not just reading and looking at pictures. You get to see those places as well. You know, my wife did a unit for him on all the presidents on Mount Rushmore. So they learned about the life of each president. And then you go to Mount Rushmore. Um, a lot of revolutionary war history, and then you get to see all those sites and Civil War history coming down the East Coast. So all of those things that, that you would be learning about in books, he's still learning about, but then he gets to see them and touch them. And, uh, and, and it's just been – I I think everybody should be able to do that for, for one of their grades as a, as a kid. He's fortunate enough to be able to do that this year. So – I know that uh, recently your work has begun to
0: appear on NBC LX. We talked a little bit off off uh, off the air about just kind of what you're doing with them, and and it, it seems to be just kind of this you know thing that popped up, and and seems to be a nice way for you to keep your toes in the water, so to speak. Other than that, I mean, have you was there any intent on making money off of this on? turning this into a, its own business? Or was this kind of designed, even though you were still doing storytelling, to be a break from your professional career?
1: No, yeah. It, it, I mean, we're raising two kids, so income is a necessity. It, this, this was never going to be a, a year of vacation. We didn't know exactly how that was going to look. And we, and we started out when we were planning this trip, contacting a bunch of companies we thought might be a good fit and saying, hey, we're doing this thing. Would you like to sponsor it and and we'll create content for you? Um, And didn't really have a lot of bites. We had had one pretty close one, but um, we didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, And so we said, well, let's just go and start doing what we think we want to do and then we'll have something to show people. And then that's basically what we did. started telling stories and, um, and talked to someone over at LX who said, you know these are great, and I said, "Great, you want them?" <laughs> um, and and that's how that's how it came to be. And and I don't know if, how many people are for, familiar with NBC LX, uh, because it's new within the last couple of years as part of the NBC family. And they do a really cool style of news. It's 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 aimed at a younger audience. Um, the storytelling is is in depth, but it's also very conversational. It's very visual. Um, they just do a they do a really great job. And so I was, I knew about them before we left for this trip, because obviously I came from the NBC family, but to be a part of it, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, you know, we would have probably brought our work to anyone who would pay us, but I'm really happy that this is where it's ended up because they do a great job and we're just, you know, I I love seeing our stuff there. And then also they end up in the NBC pipeline. So my old station in San Diego airs the stories and people in other parts of the country who, you know, they watch, they watch their NBC local station and they'll pick up some of the stories. So it's really, it's really great to see what a life, those pieces can have once they're in the pipeline. Uh, so and yeah, frankly,
0: when you look at those stories and, and I've watched quite a few of them because you post them on Instagram and, and various platforms, I mean, they look better than 99% of what's on local television news. So if I was your old nice. affiliate in San Diego or anywhere, I would jump at the chance to run these pieces. They're so fascinating. They're, they're really interesting. They human interest is such a, it's it's such a toast term. And I think, when you watch a story like the ones, or when I watch a story like the ones that you're producing, that to me is what human interest should be. It is It is about interesting humans. It is what makes humanity interesting. And it's one of those things that just, it, it, it brings you to places that you wouldn't go and it makes us all a little closer and a little more connected. So the work is just so fantastic. I. Thanks. But that's not a surprise, knowing you well, and, and knowing no, the you've had in the past.
1: I was going to say, you know, it's, it's a... The point I, I would make about those is something, and everybody knows this, but something doesn't have to happen in your backyard to make it interesting to you, obviously. I mean, we, we consume content all day long. But it's not from anywhere where we live. Um, that's one factor. But I think that we can create content and tell stories from other places, and, and they can still play very well um, in local news markets if they're just interesting enough, you know? And, and we're learning along the way, and, and all we're doing is passing along to people what we learn. So if it's interesting to me, then that's the bar, you know, then I think it's interesting enough to to tell a story and pass it along. And, and I I hope other people are getting something out of it, but I think they can play anywhere. And I am curious about
0: the idea of taking a break from the five days a week news job and doing something like this. It sounds like the main impetus for, for this is, you know, kind of a, a life goal, something, you know, that you'll never forget, that you'll always be able to talk about, even when you eventually come back to San Diego and, and, you know, restart whatever life looks like after this. Did you, were you at all, I don't want to say burned out, but were you at all ready to take a break? Are you hoping to come back after this year? What, what, how do you feel about the news industry and and your role in it after having been in
1: it for again, roughly two decades and doing it at such a high level? and two decades at the same place. I was at NBC San Diego for my entire career and when I left there I had been anchoring the weekday morning show for 5 years. So I get to sleep in now. That's a nice break uh, after getting up <laughs> at 2:30 in the morning. I I miss it. I miss the people there. I loved the people I worked with. Uh we left on great terms. Uh, I I miss that place um and as far as local news goes I, I I love what we're doing now. I love that we have the freedom to be able to tell these types of stories. But again, they play in local news. It works. And so I think local news has changed a lot over over the last several years uh, that this kind of work can, can play there. So uh, I like what local news is becoming. Anyone who – you and I have been in it long enough that we remember back in the early 2000s when everyone said, you know, your business is – its days are numbered. And certainly not. You know, in hindsight now, it, we've adapted – And it has more life than ever, and I think this is a good example that that we just we have ways to find stories that are from everywhere, and and it works for local news. So I I don't know if that fully answered your question, but we um yeah I I I miss that job and that life, uh, but I don't miss the wake up time, and I love what we're doing now. So this was this was never meant to be a break. It was just meant to try something new. I I hadn't I hadn't ever been anywhere else in my career. And like I said, there was just this scratch to try something new and see if we could do it. And, and so that's it wasn't it wasn't that I was tired of local news or tired of that job or tired of those people. I loved all those things. It was just the desire to try something new. And, you know, whether it's news or anything you do in your life, we all have that. What if right? You know, like, oh, what if we did this? What if I did this? Um, that's what this is for us. And, and we didn't want 20 years from now to wonder why we never did it. So that's a big part of it. It wasn't there wasn't any sort of um, negative. Part of my past life. It's just we we wanted to to try this thing, and we didn't want to wonder later on why we didn't.
0: Very cool. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Greg Bledsoe, spearheader of the Family Geography Project. But around a year ago, you would have called him an anchor and reporter at KNSD in San Diego, and you would also call him, and can still call him, a two-time NPPA National Solo Video Journalist of the Year. So let's get into solo storytelling. I imagine many people listening to this are doing just that in their jobs right now. Let's take it back to initially before the drone and before the mirrorless camera, (laughs) what led you to embrace the solo mantle?
1: I grew up in Denver uh, watching KUSA. That was my, that's how I grew up watching news. And so I think I just grew up thinking that's how everybody does it. That's how everybody tells stories. Obviously that's I was spoiled because that's, that's a shop that in, in the Denver market in general, is just a place that's home to a lot of great storytellers, great writers, great photographers. Um, yeah. you know, that's where I did my internship in college. So I, I think I, I learned from that and I, you don't need the best equipment in the world to tell amazing stories. I mean, you and I came up in in days where solo, solo journalists, solo video journalists were given, whatever cameras were left over. Right. (laughs) And, and we just just kind of made it work and everything's, everything's changed and everything looks amazing now. And we're, you know, our gears getting smaller and and looking better. But uh, yeah, I I feel like I learned from people who who really knew what they were doing and then uh, just kind of took it from there. I'm forgetting what your initial question was. I tend to ramble sometimes. You'll, you'll notice that apologies to anyone listening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy the rambles and uh, no, we, you know, we were talking about what got you into the solo storytelling oh, yeah. the end of it which really i i think when it's kind of a loaded question it, it it it's maybe a rorschach test of a question but really for someone like you who obviously so such a talented reporter and really good on camera you know that question almost sounds like well what made you also want to shoot and edit and but i remember you know i don't know if i mentioned this yet on, on this episode but greg is Uh, one of the many people I interviewed in my book, The Solo Video Journalist, both the first and second editions. And I remember coming out to San Diego and and interviewing you and interviewing Joe Little, who's also in the book. And when I I met with you... One of my best buddies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one of your former colleagues, for for a brief spell there. Uh, But when you and I met, you showed me your gear that you were using. And this was, I'm going to say 2013 or 2014 at this point. And... I was really just blown away at the advanced gear you were using already.
1: I mean, you had, I forget if it was a mirrorless or just a DSLR. That's but right, I was shooting was, on a DSLR back then. It's a, a 5D Mark III. Yeah, so that going yeah. have been around the 2013-ish time frame.
0: Yeah, so our cameras were the same size, but yours was much more impressive. And I just remember thinking, like, he is really into this. And... You know, I hadn't touched anywhere near that kind of gear yet. Now that's that's exactly the kind of gear I'm using. Yeah. Um, you know, a mirrorless camera and, and a drone and a slider and, and the whole nine for my current job. But, you know, I could tell right away that it wasn't just a matter of skill and and uh, and technique for you. It was also really a love for the equipment, a love for the artistry of it, and wanting to have the tools in place to... Enable
1: that artistry uh, as best as possible. That was really early on in the days of people going out and doing broadcast journalism with uh, DSLR cameras, which have now been, you know, most people are shifting towards mirrorless. But same, you know, same family. Um, and I'll tell you where I where I started learning about that is when I, w- I went to the MPPA uh, news video workshop in in Oklahoma one year, and it was right about that time that a lot of a lot of newspapers around the country were starting video units and so they they would send their their traditionally still photographers to this workshop and say hey go go learn how to tell video and i saw the cameras that some of these journalists were bringing and they were amazing photographers with this really great sense of composition because they've been doing it you know with stills for years and their video just looked better than anything i'd ever seen and 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 you know mix mix that with their their skill and i was And that's where i said oh okay i want i want to figure this out i know that this isn't going to work for running gun daily news this isn't you know ideal for everything but i just couldn't get over the the image quality of what they were doing and so or what they were shooting and so that's that's what i made the jump and i think it was pretty early on in the game for anyone at tv to be shooting with that and again i didn't shoot that stuff every day on that gear every day because you just you can't run out and shoot breaking news on that a lot of the time um but in, in very controlled situations, I started experimenting with it early on, and and now a lot of people are doing it, and it just looks great. And it's changed the look um, in, in local TV. You can always see when someone's shooting on on something like that.
0: Looking back now, you know you're you're in. Uh, I'm gonna let's go ahead and say twenty years, uh, but you know you're in year twenty or somewhere around there of your career. Somewhere you're older te- than I than I was when I started. <laughs> That's right. Much older. <laughs> what are the techniques that you use today that you think have been through lines throughout those years that are the ones that have been bedrocks of your storytelling
1: from start to now? Yeah, to, to, independent of the kind of equipment that you use, telling a great story and getting someone to open up on camera is is has nothing to do with your equipment. I mean, you know, there are certain techniques I use for my equipment as far as where I place it and how I use it, but... Um, I want to make people feel comfortable talking to me, uh, and I want, to pe- I want people to, to know they can trust me with their story, and, and that's never changed. That's always been a bedrock. When I'm setting up my gear, uh, when I used to be with a photographer and they were setting up, you know, I'd, I'd be chatting up whoever I'm talking to. Now that I'm setting up myself, I still try and just have conversations the whole time with people because I want to get to know them. I want them to get to know me. I want them to feel comfortable with me because I, a lot of the times what we do, we go into these people's houses on... Sometimes the, the the worst, other times the best days of their life, and we sit down as a total stranger and ask them to pour their heart out to us, right? And and that's not easy to do if you're the one with a camera pointed at you and you're talking to someone you've never met before. So I always want people to feel comfortable with me, um, and that's never changed, despite you know, or you know, no matter what kind of equipment I'm using. So that's always been a, a big part of my my uh, storytelling toolbox is, is just getting people comfortable.
0: And part of that is also being comfortable enough with your gear that you can do all of the setup and all of the things you need to do while simultaneously talking to your interview subject and getting them comfortable. You don't want to look like you're stressed out trying to figure out, you know, an an audio hiccup or or something like that. You want to have your gear, uh, you want to know your gear inside and out.
1: That's such a great point because, and this is good for all of you younger journalists out there, if you show up, uh, and now people are a little more used to it, but you know, years ago, if you show up by yourself, people are already a little skeptical. Like, what? You know, what? Who is this person by? Why don't they have also a photographer? Why is the camera so small? All the, you know, people are also always a, a little skeptical of: Do you really know what you're doing if you're there by yourself? If you're fumbling around with your gear, then they start to ask themselves more of those questions, and you lose a little bit of that person's trust before you ever even ask them the first question. So that's a great point. If you, if you are doing this know your gear, be able to set up flawlessly. It sounds so uh, technical or unimportant, uh, but just, you know, it, people who you're talking to will sense whether or not you know what you're doing, and and that's a big part of whether or not they're comfortable talking to you.
0: You have been doing these stories, I, I guess, in the middle of the night. Uh, you're editing them, <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> or, or sometime in that in that time frame, but you know you, you're kind of doing a lot of start and stop. I would imagine with the edits, which is different than if you're, you know, if you have an hour or an hour and a half to meet your yeah. deadline. At that, uh, what is what do you think the two have in common?
1: Of being on a deadline as opposed to having days to do it, but doing it at really odd times of the night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. I'd rather do it the way I'm doing it now. Yeah, I have the luxury to to sit down, and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down all my audio tonight. Uh, tomorrow I'll do video, or you know, t- tonight I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend looking through music and things that fit the mood and make myself a little folder of of, of several options. Um, and the, the stress of daily news, I don't miss that at all. I don't miss getting an assignment at nine in the morning and needing it to be on the air at four in the afternoon. Um, as far as what they have in common, I think years of working in local news and having to meet those deadlines you're you're comfortable being uncomfortable you know what i mean i mean we we've we've sat in the back of live trucks we've worked i remember one time uh i was in moore oklahoma after a a tornado there and i was working out of a rental car that had no power so i walked up to the nbc sat truck and asked if i could plug into the side of their truck and sat outside in the dirt with my laptop on my knees and it was blazing hot outside and I was sweating mm-hmm. and my computer was dying. And um, But years in TV news, you just get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so sitting up now at two in the morning when I really want to go to sleep, trying to get something done uh, is no big deal because because I remember what it was like. And and, on, and this year I've done a lot of editing at a picnic table at a campsite you know, by the fire, uh, which is really cool, but it's also not conducive to, to – great work um yeah i i would say that the thing that those two uh things have in common is just being comfortable being uncomfortable
0: this is the telling the story podcast i'm matt pearl he is greg bledsoe the immensely talented solo video journalist currently leading the family geography project greg i always used to i always like to use this section of the podcast as an advice section for young journalists I'm curious, as someone who has done this job for a long time and is now taking, we'll call it a gap year uh, in your professional (laughs) life, what kind of perspective have you gained from this time away that you feel is worth sharing to those just coming up?
1: It's, It's like hitting a reset button, which I don't think it matters what you do in life. Every once in a while, you need to hit reset or you need to scare yourself. You know, you need to disrupt things a little bit, and I had fallen into somewhat of a rut. I liked my job again; I love the people I worked with, but I I tend to look at my storytelling, and it just it didn't change for years at a time. and And doing this this year has given me the time and also a little more desire to dig in and and change what I'm what I'm doing and try and tell stories differently. Uh, I'm getting feedback from people at LX who are much younger than me. And much more talented than I am, uh, and it's great. You know, it's it's nice to it's nice to, to talk to people with a fresh set of eyes and a different skill set who tell stories a different way and get their feedback. And so I, I feel like my my style has changed a little bit this year. I'm re-inspired, and and I and I have so many ideas of the ways I want to tell stories that I haven't even gotten to yet. And so I think that's all because I'm just uncomfortable this year. You know, uh, I'm doing something I haven't ever done. And that's, that was good for me early in my career when I was new in news. And it's good for me now because it's just nice to be uncertain and scared every once in a while without being irresponsible, you know, but it's just good to disrupt things and it, it, it's worked for me this year.
0: Did you feel like you had gotten to a point in your life and in your career where you could do that? Because I know you had said that, you know, this is something you first uh, discussed with your wife 10 years ago. And I can imagine a lot of journalists listening to this in their twenties saying, well, Yeah, sure. You know, he's been an anchor and a reporter. He's won all these awards. He's pretty much, you know, done what you can do in local news and he'll probably have little trouble getting back into it when it's time. But, you know, here I am. I'm working in a small market. I'm 23 years old. For me to do something that disruptive could be detrimental to my career.
1: What would you say to that? I would say that they're coming up in this business. There's never been a better time to be a, a a storyteller or a content creator because there is so much content out there and so much need for it. Maybe maybe you don't land back in local news, but there I mean s- storytelling has never been more alive. Every single brand out there wants to set, wants to tell honest stories. Uh every local station is is more uh willing to experiment a little bit more. I feel like we've never been better at breaking the molds uh, and storytelling are trying more than we are right now and there's never been more opportunities uh and more of a need for video so anybody who's 23 uh who who feels like if they if they try something risky may not get back into the game i i i would say that, that there there are a lot more opportunities now than there were when you and i were coming up where it was just you know it was basically there was there was local news if you wanted to tell stories i mean i started in 2001 it, the web our web department at the station was very small i think it was two people you know i mean imagine that 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 now so everybody consumes so much content every day on their phone if you're a storyteller if you know how to if you know how to do video the 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 possibilities out there for you are endless these days let me ask the inverse of that question then
0: for those wondering you know what is the appeal of local news at this time where I'm sure, you know, I know you've been off the grid a little bit, but I'm sure you've been reading about the great resignation taking place at so many local news stations around the country and how uh, many stations and many managers are having a hard time attracting and keeping talented people. Yeah. What is the case for working in local TV news right now?
1: Well, so first of all, I think part of that is because there are so many opportunities right now for for great storytellers and people who know video and and, and that that what. That just wasn't there 20 years ago. Um, That's a great point. And it, tell me your original question again. Just a, So, what, so it,
0: with all those opportunities, why local news?
1: Because it, because you, you have a chance to, to tell stories that, that are immediately important to the people in your community. Uh, you know, there will, local news will never go out of business. And it's been around long before we had TVs and radios. Because there's always been a need to know what's happening in your neighborhood and with your neighbors and, and the things that affect you the most. So... To be a part of that, I think, is still important, uh, and and to be able to go and, and cut your teeth in a small market in a small town, and still have your 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 work really matter to the people who live in that small town, I think, is exciting, and so that would be my argument. Whether or not you know, whether or not you stay in local news for the entirety of your career, who knows? Um, but but it's certainly I still think very important work, and and work now that honestly gets seen by a lot more people. Just think of you know when you and I were starting, or even before that that it was seen on newscasts for people who happen to be sitting down watching TV for that hour a day that your story ran. Now it's pushed out digitally to anyone, anywhere. And so it's you you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get to do stories that really matter to your community. And at the same time, your audience is limitless.
0: What is next for you when this trip winds down?
1: Good question. Let me know <laughs> when you have an answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got to have the answer. Oh no. Well, <laughs> I, I, I haven't thought about it at all, Greg. We, I, we don't, we don't know, uh, exactly <laughs> what's next. I I'm loving this right now. Um, we're starting to get closer to the end of the journey where I'll get a little bit stressed out here in the next month when I don't know exactly what the next step is, but we followed our hearts, uh, to, to get here. And so I, I tend to not worry too much, uh, that there's, that there's something after this is over. And, and like I said, um, if you love to tell stories and, and you and you know how to tell stories, there's there's somebody out there who needs your help. And so uh, we don't have an exact plan. So uh, that's I'll, I'll fill you in, in in two, three, four months when we're when we're back at home. But we're starting to starting to ask those questions now.
0: There is a question that that I cannot believe I haven't asked at this point. You're visiting all 50 states. How many are we on right now?
1: We're 36 ish. No, we're in Florida. I, th- I think this this you know I think this is thirty seven. I did count the other day, and uh, Georgia was thirty six. So we're at thirty seven right now. So thirteen to go. Whether or not we get to those last two, we'll see. We're definitely hitting forty eight. There are a couple that are harder to get to than the rest uh, towards the end. At least we'll be heading the right direction if we want to uh, yeah. jump on a plane across the ocean or uh, or go north. But we'll, I would love to to complete the uh, the fifty and hit Hawaii and Alaska. Uh, but we'll see.
0: And is the rule that you that you can't just drive through a state and it counts, so you have to actually stop and do something? We have to sleep there.
1: Yeah, we, we will Oh we, okay. Yeah. We haven't we have we have slept in thirty seven states and some of them for two nights, some of them for two weeks. But yeah, I don't I don't wanna shortchange any states. Some states have gotten more attention than others, but no, if you just drive through that doesn't count.
0: All right, two more things, then I'm going to let you go. First, what are three pieces of storytelling that you have seen, read, heard, or watched in the last year that have influenced your own work?
1: Three individual pieces. Well, instead of individual pieces, let me tell you It can be
0: anything. It could be a, a, you know, a documentary on Netflix. It could be a book you've read. It could be any any, any kind of content that has really struck you and influenced your work.
1: I give somebody a shout out who he, he doesn't even know me that well. So he, he, uh, there's a guy named Cody Broadway who tells stories for LX, and uh, he does amazing work. Somebody, somebody turned me on to his work. And it's one of those things where I feel somewhat new at the style of storytelling I'm trying to, to do now. And then I watch his and I feel like I don't know anything. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I, I'll watch his work and feel re-inspired. And that's actually that's another great tip for younger journalists and something that I've done my entire career is I've just picked people whose work I love and dissected it and then tried to copy parts of it until I felt like I, I understood it and then could sort of make it my own. I, when I was younger, I used to I still love Steve Hartman as, as so many people do. But when I was in my 20s, I would literally record his stories, watch them pause and transcribe them and rewrite his scripts so that I could see how he structured stories. Um, and throughout the years I've, there've been journalists who I've, who I've loved um, that there's a guy from the San, He did a series for the San Francisco Chronicle years ago called the city exposed. He was a great photographer. Um, anyway, Cody Broadway. So I, I would say just pick people whose work you really love and learn from it. So that's one. And by the way, you've always been one of those people. I won't I won't embarrass you, but it's it's great to some of your colleagues or some people who your your friends, if they if they do great work and you have access to them, you can ask them questions and see how they do it and you learn from some of your contemporaries. So I've learned a lot from watching your stuff as well, Matt. And uh and, and don't be afraid to ask people. Shoot shoot random emails to people whose work you love and they'll probably get back to you and have some advice for you. Sorry, we've ventured into advice again. So anyways, this Cody has been like
0: two two pieces of storytelling plus about four pieces of advice. I feel like I know, I've sorry. gotten, I feel like this has been a great answer.
1: I told you I ramble. Uh, yeah. So Cody <laughs> stuff, Cody stuff is great. Uh, not to Not to, uh, to LX's horn, but, uh, but I I've learned a lot from them and I don't think a lot of people know of them so much at this point. I love the style of storytelling. They do um, because if I get back into local news, I would try and take some of that. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a little bit more in depth. It's very conversational. They do a lot of high, high quality, um, video production. And so that's been another thing just watching their work this year because I'm working with them, I've learned a lot. And then um any sort of documentary, I'll watch anything, uh, you know. And we don't have as much time this year, but I love long-form storytelling. I don't think I'm very good at it because it's so overwhelming to get into a project that you think is going to take you a year. I've never even done it something that that long, but I love to watch it and you can take little tidbits of of any sort of documentary long-form storytelling I've learned a lot about letting silence breathe and just and and just slowing the pace of things down a little bit and letting moments sink in uh, from watching pieces of work where they have more time to do that because it's just so powerful sometimes when you have those moments why why are we rushing to get through them and coming from a local news background where they say hey you got minute 15 for your story we tend to rush a lot Um, and so I I think by watching a long-form storytelling you learn okay Even in short form, I can do this. I just need to cut out other stuff to make room for those moments that are more important and that people are going to remember. And and so I've I've learned, I think, to let my work breathe a little bit more. Greg, I always like to end with that famous reporter's
0: question, one I'm sure you've asked many, many times. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to
1: add? No. I mean, I'm uncomfortable talking about myself for for any length of time. So I, I think we've covered it all. No, I, we're just we're living the, the 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 dream that we've always wanted here. But it's not a vacation; it's a lot of work. And so, I you know, I, I hope people understand that and they don't think that I just checked out of life for a year uh, to go, not cut my hair and not shave, which is which is happening by the way. But I'm working <laughs> at the same time. Um, no, we're we're loving this. And and I again, I don't know where it goes, but I would I would recommend to anybody who has that itch to do something, even if it seems a little bit crazy, to just explore it and think about it a little bit more, because that's what we're doing and, and no regrets.
0: I think there is a a whole separate podcast, a non-storytelling podcast to be done on, on what this has been like during COVID and in yeah. 2021 specifically, and, and just at, at this time in our history, what that has been like for you as an adult, for your kids, as children, and for you all as a family. But uh, I will leave it there. Uh, and just, uh, again, just keep following along with the work you're doing and, and it's tremendous. So Greg Bledsoe, thank you so much for all you're doing. And thank you so much for joining me on the telling the story podcast. It was
1: absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt.
0: And the telling the story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com rate and review this podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out my book, the solo video journalist, second edition, Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thank you to Greg Bledsoe for joining me as my guest. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next
1: time.